0: this is retrospective facilitation a podcast for facilitators that want to make their retrospectives even more effective welcome back this is the third episode of a series of special interviews i did with military veterans and we talked about the briefings and connections with retrospectives today we interview dan green Dan was an F-18 fighter pilot for the Navy for about 10 years he was deployed on an aircraft carrier and he went to some war zones so he will tell us a little bit about his experience in military debriefings as well as comparison with his current career he's been working for over 10 years in the tech industries for companies like Google and Twitter where he was an executive it's gonna be an interesting Connection that we draw how we run uh, debriefings in, or how he's seen debriefings run uh, in, in companies in the, in the tech industry, and how they were run in the military in high stakes environments like piloting a fighter jet. Cool. So, Dan, thank you so much for joining the show. And you want to introduce yourself quickly?
1: Sure. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Dan Green. Um, I'm a uh, 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 revenue leader in the tech industry now, and, and have been in the tech industry for about 15 years or so. Um, the first part of my career, first 10 years of my career, I was a Navy pilot in the US.
0: Nice, nice. And uh, we have a common, uh, common contact, John. I, I work with John, and uh, you both served. And I was, uh, I was asking John for other uh, people that are, have been veterans. And talk about debriefings in uh, during military actions, during uh, deployments. And can you tell us a little bit about the time that you were flying those uh, fighter jets? And you were on an aircraft carrier, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, so I flew an airplane called an F-18 Hornet. Uh, it was a carrier-based carrier uh, airplane. So you'd be assigned to a squadron um, at your home base, and then you would deploy on aircraft carriers periodically. Um, so I spent a lot of time flying from both land and sea.
0: Um, nice. And do you have um, a particular story or episode where when a debriefing was run after one of those missions? And what can you tell us about the formats uh, of the debriefings in the in the Navy?
1: Well, um, I probably have thousands of, of, of episodes because debriefing in the Navy, um, and I, and I think this goes... This is especially true in aviation, but it's true broadly across the military. So, the the concept of brief of, of debriefing something, is is as commonplace as like tying your shoe, right? Like, you essentially what happens in the military, um, and I'll speak just generally. Like every unit, whether it's an infantry unit or ships or submarines or airplanes, every unit basically does two things. They they train. At home, typically, or 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 they could be deployed, and there could be training as well. But they train, and they 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 train um, uh, in what they do, right? Uh, the the ship goes out and it trains, or the the, air, the airplanes fly and they train. So so training is the first piece, and then the second piece is is what we'd call sort of real world operations. So you could be deployed into a. Theater of operations, and you're conducting sort of live live operations. Sometimes they can be in combat, but sometimes it can just be patrolling, or it could be just um, just operating uh, at sea, or operating at, um, in, a, in, in some forward deployed location. And so every unit's doing both training and operating. And every single time any given unit um, is either tra- does a training exercise, even something as simple as an hour long, you know, training episode. Or a multi-day uh, exercise, or a real live, um, uh, real-world kind of operation, they they will always debrief that. So debriefing is something that's done constantly.
0: Um, nice and very, who very who calls who calls those debriefings? Is it uh, like yeah. the superior officer Would the the team, just like do it themselves?
1: Yeah, the teams. It's just automatic. So uh, I'll give you more specific examples of how it would operate. How how this would sort of manifest itself in the um, aviation world. So um, we would fly um, every day, once or twice a day, and um, this could be both at home, at our home base, or on a carrier, and it could be in the Persian Gulf, or it could be off the coast of California, or it could be at our home base. And so you fly once or twice a day as an individual, and every single flight involved the following. It, it involved some preparation, so some planning and preparation. It could be you know, for a very complex flight, or very complex training, or very complex operation, it could be days of, of planning, um, or it could be just a couple hours. Uh, and then you would you would conduct a brief for you'd prepare and then conduct a brief. So everybody involved in that flight would brief uh, for an hour or two hours prior to the flight, covering That's everything. Kind of the plan. Yeah, everything from like. You know, what you're gonna to do to how you're gonna do it, what the objectives are, who's gonna be doing what, and you and, and safety you'd also cover like safety precautions and things like that. And so um, you know, simple flights the brief could be a half an hour, complex flights, the brief could be two hours or even more. Um, and then you would go and do the flight, and, and the flights could be anywhere from an hour to five hours. Uh, and then you would come back, um uh, get all your flake gear off and, and you uh, reassemble in a and, and by the way we had we had designated briefing and debriefing rooms um, so in your
0: was there was that post it notes what, what's that was there any post it notes post
1: it notes yeah there would be um so just like we have meeting rooms in, in in you know the tech industry or any business we had rooms that were set aside um, for briefing and debriefing they all had whiteboards in them they also had um they typically had uh, this is this is a few years ago. So they also had they had video screens with um, uh, essentially VCR players because you could record a lot of things that happened in the cockpit, and so video playback was a key wow. part of the debrief. Um, so looking at data. Yeah, nice. you're looking at data. You're looking at you're listening to the communications. You're watching what happened during the flight. Um, and uh, the the video recording devices would record the radar screens and everything you were doing there, as well as your heads up display and, and, and the audio. So you could come back and you could sync up all the tapes from everybody who's there and you can play everything. And you also had um, if you were if you were operating if you're operating in certain training areas, they had the ability to data link from to your airplane. And so you could record, like imagine a vid- almost like a video game and you could see all the airplanes and what they were doing and zoom in and zoom out. It was pretty intricate. It's pretty interesting. Um, nice. And anyway, so you would you would go to the flight. You'd come back. You'd get your tapes and all your notes because you're taking notes throughout the flight as well. And you would sit down and gr- everybody who was there, so like, you know, it might have been two pilots, it might have been 20 pilots. You might have senior ranking officers and more junior officers. Everybody who was there uh, gets together, and, the, and there's always a designated flight lead. So somebody was in charge of that flight, and that person not only runs the brief, but also runs the debrief.
0: And is that person flying with a group? Yeah. Or maybe... No?
1: Yeah. Okay. So it's not like somebody's separate. It would be, you know, um, if, if it was four people that went flying, one of them was the flight lead uh, designated for the, as the flight lead for that, that flight, and um, that person would lead the debrief. And... The debrief had a couple, there's a couple of things that the way, the way the debriefs would go is um, first, the concept is that you check your rank at the door. Um, And so it doesn't matter what your rank is. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how senior you are. Um, Everybody is equal in the debrief. This is really important because the debrief, the whole point of the debrief is to learn. And if you're worried about who's senior to whom, and if you're worried about people getting, you know, um, getting angry because you're calling out mistakes or anything like that, you're never going to learn what you need to learn. And the stakes are really very, very high. So it's critical that you learn in the debrief.
0: Nice. And so would you say uh, during the during those debriefs, was it like, uh, how was the safe environment kind of like uh set was it just like a default people knew that that was the mindset of it or was yeah, it different you, you know sometime in you were taught different companies you have different safety levels yeah how was it in that that's
1: that's a good question um you know different squadrons had different culture and just like different companies do or different teams do in a company so yeah there was there's probably different levels of of, of safetiness but ultimately um it was pretty consistent. And like it started when you're in flight school with your instructor pilots and, it, you know, like this concept of briefing, flying, debriefing. It started early in, the, in, in, the, in your, in your cu- culturalization into, into naval aviation and it just continued. Um, and uh, even if it was an informal flight, you still briefed flew, you know, and 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 debriefed. Even if it was a very informal, just like, you know, taking a couple jets and flying them across the country to get them somewhere, like, even that simple of a process, you would you would still cover the basics. Um,
0: would you ever miss a debrief?
1: Could you miss a debrief?
0: Yeah, would you ever, like, uh, would it ever not happen?
1: I don't remember it ever not happening. I, I think there occasionally, for a very, like, Simple flight. It might have been like, "Hey, you got anything from you know from you know?" It might have been a five-minute debrief. Um, uh, But uh, if if somebody missed the debrief, uh, it was pretty rare, and it was generally frowned upon. Um, And the debriefs, by the way, like they could go anywhere from ten minutes for a simple uh, hop, simple flight exercise to two hours, Um, and the 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 basic process is um, you would you would basically evaluate everything from the preparation and um to the actual to the brief itself to the flight and then debrief the debrief um, nice. and you would use whiteboards and and people were taking notes and um there were t- there are many times where a, a training a training um, flight uh was actually an evaluation piece as well so you might be grading certain people on on their progression and so there was there was evaluation reports to be filled out like that
0: nice um can you think of um of a debrief during the time you were deployed that comes to mind that is uh, memorable like uh that you want to share with the audience the
1: the um so, one time, let's see, we were flying, I was I was in my, assigned to a squadron, and that squadron was one of a few squadrons assigned to an aircraft carrier, and we had deployed um, across the Western Pacific, uh, into Asia, and then eventually into the Persian Gulf. And um, we operated in the Persian Gulf for a few months, essentially enforcing um the UN sanctions and no-fly zones over southern Iraq. So this is before 9-11, uh, after the first Persian Gulf War. And so the basic mission was we would have, a, you would get a long list of missions assigned for the day, and our air wing would, would, would sort of um, operate throughout the day to um, fulfill these missions, which were essentially taking our airplanes and flying them over southern Iraq and ensuring that the Iraqi Air Force and Army weren't doing anything they weren't supposed to be doing. And occasionally they would do the things that they weren't supposed to do, like move troops and equipment or fly airplanes, and then we would take action against them. So that was the basic thing that we were doing for several years. And um, the environment over southern Iraq was such that they had deployed military assets all around the southern part of their country, including surface-to-air missile sites. And surface-to-air missile sites, are generally you know where they are. And um, we would have charts that would show them uh, where they are, and we would we would have those um, locations set into our navigation system, so we could avoid those those surface air missile sites. And so basically, you you can imagine a map of California with big bubbles on it, and those big bubbles are different uh, different sizes depending on the surface air missile, and you have to avoid those bubbles as you fly around. You're not supposed to fly through surface air missile envelopes, and um, I was, uh, we, had, we, we got a new um, executive officer in our squadron about halfway through our deployment, meaning an ex- executive officer is like the second in command of the squadron. The squadron's about uh, 150 people, 200 people, with about uh, 15 pilots. And the most senior pilot is the commanding officer. The second most senior pilot's a exec- called the executive officer. And after about two years, the executive officer takes over as the commanding officer. So this new executive officer came aboard and uh, he and I were slated to fly together, and I was a very junior pilot. And so he
0: and uh, I was on two separate planes. Yeah, two separate planes. He flies yeah, one, his on plane. And I
1: fly the other. So I'm his wingman. And you know, our mission was to go and spend about four hours patrolling the no-fly zone and, uh, along certain paths. And um, we, you know, prepared, briefed, um, suited up, launched in our airplanes off the carrier, uh, refueled, went into, went over southern Iraq, and started conducting our mission. And at one point in time, um, I noticed that we were sort of heading right for this service-to-air missile envelope. And, you know, I checked in with him on the radio. You're supposed to keep radio communications to a minimum. And uh, I can't remember exactly what I said. This was years ago. But, you know, something like, hey, heads up, you know, there's a code name for it. You know, um, Pencil is 20 miles north of us. Roger. And... um, and then you know, sure enough, we're like we're getting relatively close to this this missile, and and I had to come on. And we're like, hey, you know, XO, we are, we need to turn south immediately, and you know, and, and the, we, we a little back and forth between the two of us, and he he realized that uh, the mistake he had made, and so we turned around and and continued our mission, and blah, blah, blah. we came back, and and the debrief, you know, I was the most junior pilot in the squadron, he was one of the most senior pilots in the squadron, but he. You know he fully recognized his, his mistake. He had he had the wrong point in entered into his system and had made a mistake and and real you know bonehead mistake and um, acknowledged that and acknowledged my you know my heads up and so that's just an example. Those types of things happened all the time, but like that's just a, an example of how in the in the debrief. You have to check rank at the door and you have to own up to your mistakes and acknowledge when when we make them and what happened and and why what we need to do to improve the next time
0: nice awesome so in general like were there like actions coming out of like the debrief um were there like um, i don't know changes uh into the procedures or was like uh was there ever like uh, action taken out of like a debrief and not not looking corrective but more like um Uh, I was speaking with uh, someone else that was in the army and they were saying like they changed tactics on the, on the floor based on some of those debris.
1: Well, yeah, yes. Um, So that would happen all the time in, in, in sort of in different ways. One, one way it would happen is not, not, not as much in training. So if we were back home or, or maybe on the carrier, but not in the combat zone or something like you didn't necessarily there weren't necessarily things that you were you were taking away from a debrief and changing from a systems or from a process point of view broadly there would be things that you would take away individually and learn and change and those types of things happen i mean literally all the time um where you're learning from the debrief and you're learning from the the, the, the you know like basically the concept is everybody learns by doing right like we all learn by doing whether it's coding or uh, selling or flying or whatever we all learn by doing but if you spend some dedicated time debriefing and and even thinking about what you're doing like your 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 development your pace of development will be uh in my experience much 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 higher right like a much faster pace of development and so this concept of debriefing this learning concept happened all the time and so you are constantly learning um through that process in In combat zones and sort of real-world operations, we took that the the debrief information was also captured by the intelligence team, and the intelligence team was aggregating all these debrief points and taking all of that information and absolutely making changes on a uh, on a regular basis.
0: Nice, nice stuff. So how did that debrief like, concept uh, translate when you started like working back in outside of the military? Did you find it uh, like was it missing from some of the company that you worked at? Did you introduce it? or did you what differences did you find?
1: Yeah, it, it definitely uh, you... was missing. I mean like um, and even to this day, I, I think that it's, it's oftentimes missing.
0: I I like when you said at the beginning that you you learned debriefing during training and made me reflect that um, the podcast is specifically about retrospective, but I feel that oftentimes, at least for myself, I learned about retrospective about like five or six years ago, and I've been working for 18 years. So the concept about feedback really didn't come through um, education or many of the workplaces I've been in Australia or or in Europe. Um, so i I think that uh, I agree with you on the on the fact that it's missing I wish that it was part of the part of the education system and um, what are your thoughts on that yeah I
1: mean it's it's I think that like it, it really can only speak to the tech industry I haven't been I was in the aviation business for a little while but like the, obviously the majority of my experience is the tech industry and it seems like in the tech industry we've had a lot of um, there's been a lot written and talked and, and practiced around feedback over the, over the course of the last decade or two. And, you know, doing 360 reviews and having written feedback and, you know, um, Kim Scott wrote radical candor a couple of years ago. And that's had a big impact I think on, on a lot of folks and a lot of companies. And there've been other books and other, other things like it. So I, I feel like there's this desire to have sort of learning cultures and feedback based cultures the concept, the specific concept of retrospectives or after actions or um, debriefs is still something that, like, I think there's a lot of people that are sort of like, okay, I'm on board with, um, you know, biannual uh, feedback and I'm on board with being able, being open to feedback and things like like that concept. Um, I think, I think a lot of people can be open to. I think there's still a ton of room for companies and for people to adopt more of it. But um, this, this concept of a debrief, of uh, a very, like. That 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 concept is still something that I think is a little bit more rare, um, and when I when I my first job in the tech industry was at Google, um, and it most definitely did not exist. I didn't see it happening at all, and I was I got hired at a really interesting time. I was hired at a time when Sheryl Sandberg had started something called Online Sales and Operations at Google, and it was essentially. A team focused on handling large numbers of accounts, um, as a, as well as operating things like Gmail, and um, and uh, but also handling large numbers of advertising accounts. And so this team wasn't really a sales team; it was more like a uh, just trying to support all the advertisers that were using AdWords. And this is in the early to mid two thousands. And um, when I sh- when I got hired, the team was probably six seven hundred people, and. That we wanted to transition it into a sales organization, so we we took this whole org and changed everything, changed levels and titles and compensation plans, and created te- new teams and and then and, and really created sales teams. And that took a good year to transition the whole organization. And there was a lot of, you know, like then a lot of learning that had to happen, a lot of training, and then a lot of like sales calls and sales meetings, and where like people weren't debriefing. And if they weren't, te- nobody had any clue whether they were doing a good job or not a good job. And so um, I, I definitely tried to, I mean, I introduced it to my teams, um, but, and, and tried to share it as broadly as possible. Um, I don't think it was, and even to this day, I, I just, I don't think that, that, that this, this concept of like tactical level debriefs, we go and one of your, one of your, one Somebody in your team does a present big internal presentation. You know, do you debrief that? You just you go on a sales call with people. Do you debrief that, or do you have a project that runs for three weeks? Do you debrief how that project went? I just I still don't think that that happens broadly across the industry.
0: Nice, yeah. Um, when I decided to start a podcast, was uh, some of the some people do like agile on air quotes and do retrospective mm-hmm. on air quotes, but it's uh, oftentimes like uh, it's kind of like a, an action that is not really like a, doesn't lead to any learning. So it's more like going through the motions versus actually getting something that is that is valuable. So I feel maybe sometimes uh, I don't know the organization is not is not ready. Sometimes maybe there is something people are so busy that there is not someone saying hey maybe we can do and try this other thing instead of doing whatever we're doing for our retrospectives, and that leads to inaction.
1: I find that. Um... Um, you know, like as, as as somebody who leads teams, like you can kind of you can influence the culture, the operating culture, the value, like all sorts of things of that team, right? Like you can definitely a leader of a team of ten people or even fifty people can 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 very can very most definitely say, okay, like here's the concept of debrief and here or after action or retrospectives. Look, this is how we do it. This is the, and and introduce that concept and like hammer hammer away at it and get get that team or that organization doing it. Um, you can you can influence and do lots of things when you're when you're leading the team. But I think that like corporate culture is very difficult to influence in, unless it's adopted and adapted. You know by by, by the, the the executive team. And in fact, you know, those behaviors are practiced by the executive team. Um, you know, like if the executive team believes in. Um, strong feedback-based culture, then that'll spread throughout the organization. If the executive team doesn't believe in that, it's going to be very, very difficult for it to, to spread throughout the organization. Almost impossible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There is a book called um, Fearless Change by Linda Rising, and she and this other author wrote about how patterns to introduce change into organizations. And... Um, But yeah, I I see what you're saying. and I feel I've been using some of her patterns and trying to start like some grassroots uh, initiatives and some of our clients. But uh, I I agree. I feel that at the very top, it it will take like much, much longer for the the change to reach from the bottom to the top versus if the top agrees on some like key concept, like you said about, yes, we value feedback, uh, constructive feedback. Yes, we value debriefing, retrospectives and things like that.
1: But like you said, Mm -hmm. you know, if if you've got a team and you're introducing this whatever concept it is in this case say debriefing and if that can if that if that team adopts it and um, uses it and then like you're able to share it with a couple other team leaders and they do it like it's definitely do it's definitely possible to take that cons any any given concept and eventually get the whole organization on board as it as it matriculates up but it's just you're right it, it takes it takes it usually takes longer.
0: So how do we change uh, executives to send them in the in the army or in the navy? Yeah,
1: that's a really good question. We, you know, one of the interesting things, one of the things that I found at, at, even at Google was, like Google had this really one of the things that attracted me to Google was a emphasis placed on 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 leadership and management, um, and um, uh, you know, feedback based culture and uh, leading people. Um, in a positive and holistic way. And and so that really attracted me to Google's culture. What I found, though, was there was a lot more emphasis placed on managing people well at lower to mid-levels than there was at senior or executive levels. Like, you know, it was... A little bit more lip service. The, the people people were not held accountable to the same principles at a really senior level as they were at a middle level or at a junior level as managers and leaders. Um, so, the point is is that like one of the things that was sort of interesting there was um, I think Google's culture was awesome um, at a really senior level. I don't think it was so awesome. Um, and it was which is interesting right like you would think that like if, if the culture wasn't great at a really senior level at at a, at a company how how could it be uh so good below that
0: and that's a good question yeah <laughs> yeah cool and i've been I've been listening to this podcast by a guy called uh, Todd Conklin and this goes back into the retrospective and the debrief and one thing he he repeats often enough is like it's not about the uh the uh, mistake or the, the the thing that happened, but the context of it, and uh, I kind of wanted to link back to the to the military and like how it's not about maybe like I made this mistake, but the context. Have you found that, and have you found that in the in the industry that you work on today that maybe sometimes we focus too much on oh there's this mistake versus what was the context on that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that ultimately um, debriefs. So the value of a debrief is to learn, right? So um, it it becomes, I mean, one way a debrief and debriefing culture will fail is if the only point of a debrief is to point out who made a mistake and how and why, right? But like that's just the mistakes. And it, by the way, it's not just mistakes, right? Like I mean, in debriefs we would cover the good and the and the bad, right? Um, and so and, and 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 the way I run debriefs, you know. The way I explained the way the, the way the debriefs were run in the, in the military is exactly how I explained it to my teams it's exactly how I introduced the concept and try to build the and or build on what's being done in, in those teams and um, and so you know the basic message is hey look when we get done doing something we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about how we did it what went well and what did not go well and that's going to be like across the board I want you to tell me what you think I did well and what didn't do well and And vice versa. And it doesn't matter who's the boss and who's the manager and so on and so forth. And um, and so and and the whole point, the whole point is to learn, right? Like we want to get better at what we do. And one way to get better at what we do is to take the time to think about how we do it, what we you know, how we do things, uh, what we do and uh, where we can improve. Um, And um, and so. I think that like uh, it's really important to keep that level of context in mind when when building this kind of process or culture in a team.
0: Nice. And I like that you said that you were debriefing the debrief. We um, I started running retrospectives on the retrospectives that we run so that... Is the retrospective working? Um, how was the debriefing on the debrief? Uh, it's anyway? usually
1: quick. I mean, it, there, there. So there were probably a couple of things. One, sometimes the person leading the flight isn't is definitely not the most senior person, or they might be training. So they might be training to lead a four person flight, uh, or or a twelve person strike, or something like that. So they might be learning uh, how to lead in in that instance. And so there's a more senior instructor in the in the group. Who may not be leading the flight, may not be leading the brief or the debrief, and at the end, the um, the person who led the whole thing will debrief the debrief and kind of roll through like, okay, how'd this go? Anything I missed? So on and so forth. And there, there's a good opportunity for that instructor to jump in and say, okay, here's some things you missed in the debrief and his some 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 ways of, um, of of improving how you debrief. Um, nice. So that's one thing that would happen. Uh, generally, and, and, if, and if that weren't if it weren't that kind of case where there was an instructor or student kind of thing going on, um, the you know debriefing the debrief could be as simple as like hey you know anything anything that you guys have for the debrief anything that we should I should have done a little bit differently and and, and again rolling through the the, the folks in the or- in, in the room and and sharing feedback. Usually, nice. it was pretty quick.
0: Nice, yeah. At the, during retrospectives, we run this activity called uh, our OTI, Return of Time Invested. So we asked for 30 seconds between zero and four, how well spent was this time in this meeting? Zero, complete waste of time, four was awesome. And we asked for one suggestion to make it better. And uh, that's just like a quick way to get some feedback. It doesn't have to be like spending an hour or just like, but we do it, I do it at every single retro because it's really important. And sometimes the feedback is not what you want to hear, but. I think if you just get used to to have it all the time it just becomes second nature i think that's part of that training conversation we were having uh, we have a meeting then we have a return of time investor was it good use of our time or not um
1: you do that just with retrospectives or every meeting
0: when i have longer meetings where we do yeah. things like uh, scopings i do that too because sometimes those meetings are like three hours okay uh, i want to make sure that the people are in the room I forced them to close their laptops and their, and their phones to put them away. So I want to make sure that it's is it a good use of your time or not. And if it's not, it's fine. We just need to learn and understand uh, how can we can we can we make it better next time. Yep. Um, well, this was the half an hour. This is really great, um, Dan. Do you have anything else that you want to share with the with the audience about uh, the briefings, uh, about uh, uh, your time in the Navy, or uh, like the transition that we didn't cover during my, my questions?
1: Well, the you know one of the things that I've I've spent time thinking about is is you know how do you build really strong teams and how do you build high performing teams and and um, I believe that there are sort of like a few foundational elements to building a really strong high performing team. Uh, first is is hiring is hiring. The second is training, and the last piece is creating a learning organization. That if you have those three components. Um, uh, you have, I think, a really good chance of building a high-performing team. There's probably, there's certainly other things that are important, um, but being maniacal about hiring, about training, and about creating a learning culture are are the three components that I've seen over the course of my time. Like every high-performing team that I've been a part of had those three things in common. And the, the the debriefing concept I think folds into this learning culture, you know, of creating an environment that. Where the, where the culture of that team, that organization um, is such that they believe in learning, right? Like everybody wants to learn. Everybody wants to develop. And it goes back to that point I said earlier, like we all learn by doing, but that's, which is great. Um, but if you really want to accelerate your development and accelerate the performance of an organization over time, if you create a learning culture that learns from everything that it does and devotes you know the right kind of energy to it, you you really sort of can create a, a much higher performing organization. And I think I think debriefing's a part of that. I think regular feedbacks a part of that. Having um, you know the right kinds of surveys and the right kinds of um, check-ins on, on how things are going and um, uh, how pe- how the how the organization is being led and managed. There's a lot of pieces that I think come into to creating a learning organization, learning culture. Um, but 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 certainly debriefing is, in my experience, the I, the cornerstone
0: element. Nice and this is a kind of like a bold question, but if there is an executive listening and they're interested in introducing debriefings in their organization, what's one suggestion or that you would give those, those executive? What's the next thing to do?
1: I think one of the most important things to do is to make sure that the debriefing environment is, um, has no rank, right? Like that people don't feel like there's no, you don't want to, you have to, you have to create a culture an environment um, a process where people don't feel defensive where they understand it's all about learning and it doesn't matter making mistakes doesn't matter um, you ha- the most important thing that what matters is learning from those mistakes and, um, and so and, and, and I think part of that is that as an executive or as a manager or as a director you have to um, be comfortable getting feedback and you have to make sure that um, that people are are feel comfortable giving you feedback. Right. Um, And so I I would focus in on that sort of those cultural norms of like, Hey, this is, this is a level playing field and nobody gets punished or in trouble or, uh, you know, sort of looked down upon or, or um, poorly reviewed because they're making mistakes that are, that are brought out in these, in these debriefs. Uh, That's, that cultural
0: element is really important. I found this interview with Dan really enlightening and making sure that we have a culture where we can give feedback and being ready to hear feedback, even when maybe it's not what we want to hear, it's critical. Make sure that, I don't know, maybe we have like a, a quick return of time invested or a quick pluses and delta at the end of your retrospective make sure that you get that feedback because if you don't get feedback on how you're getting feedback on your retrospectives, how do you know if, if they are working or not and maybe incorporate that in more meetings uh, at Pivotal we do a pluses and deltas at the end of a pairing day that's an effective way to, to give and receive feedback well, I hope you enjoyed the show this is Enrico Teotti Until next time.